Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm your host, Neil Blackman. And uh, today we're obviously going to talk about Florida's very disappointing um, start to SEC play. Their uh, loss at home Saturday night, 71-69, to a South Carolina team that entered at Zach Tech Arena with a losing record and uh, left the Odom with a with a win. Um, so it's going to be me and, and Eric Fawcett from, from GatorCountry.com. And uh, we're just going to dive right into the game and answer a bunch of uh, listener questions. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, talk about how Florida can get back on track against Arkansas this week. And then a huge game at home, Tennessee, Saturday. All right. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe on uh, either iTunes or or Spotify or Google, Stitcher, any of the services that you can and and give us a rating um, if you like what you hear or if you don't. And and always feel free to send in suggestions as well. Um, We're on Twitter at Florida BB Hour. And uh, thanks again. Go Gators. All right, everybody, as promised, I'm with uh, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. We're going to talk about Florida's um, tough-to-swallow opening night in SEC play, a loss at home to to what had been a 5-7 and seven South Carolina club. Um, we've been pretty pretty staunch advocates of, of Mike White, and, and I would say it's not just us. It's every guest that we've had on this show. Uh so I think that kind of maybe frames what I'm about to say. But, but Florida loses uh, in a great environment. Um, they have multiple d- double-digit leads in the game, including multiple double-digit leads in the second half. Uh, team they played had lost to, to Wofford, to Stony Brook, uh, t- to other teams that aren't very good. Um, I think we all respect Frank Martin a lot. Um, I think we all – respect the program he's built in Columbia. It's a difficult place to win, um, or at least has been since they joined the SEC. Uh, I'm going to say Florida shouldn't lose to that type of team on their home floor, and I think to do so is atrocious. Um, I think that it's Florida's first bad loss of the year, and I think uh, obviously Florida has three tremendous opportunities ahead of it to make up for what happened, or potentially, as Eric and I will talk about, start SEC play 0-4. But uh, one bad loss is enough. And I'm going to be brutally honest, and and certainly uh, Eric will have every opportunity to respond here, but I thought this loss was entirely on the coaching staff. Um, I heard the comments, and maybe our listeners didn't, from Andrew Nimhart about the players taking responsibility, about being warned by Coach White and the staff that Carolina would be ready to play, that that playing Frank Martin uh, teams involves being in a fist fight and that the SEC is a growing man's league, as Mike White put it. And I, I appreciate Andrew being accountable. Um, but this loss to me falls squarely on Coach White and his staff. I thought Florida made a host of coaching mistakes in this game that cost the team a great deal. Um, I think that starts with the starting lineup. We've talked on this show about how Keith Stone is a valuable player, uh, how he's especially underrated defensively, but but I think he can be that as a seventh man if he's not going to score. Um. And I think at this point, if this team's identity is going to be defense, which which Mike White insists it is, then Keontae Johnson needs to start. I think he's one of the three best defensive players the team has. 
I also think he's one of the few guys who can put his head down and get to the basket, and we're going to talk a lot about that on this show. I think it continues with game in-game adjustments for Coach White. Uh, Florida's had trouble closing games for the last year and a half. For the second time this season, they lost a game that they led by more than five points. I thought that Coach White waited entirely too long, and two minutes too long, to call a timeout and adjust to the traps of Nimard in the second half. Uh, those trapping actions allowed the Gamecocks to get back in the game. Florida squandered the lead by being late to adjust, quite frankly, in my opinion. And that's on coach. That's not on the kids. I thought that Coach White needed to work the refs earlier. Uh, he got hot late in the game. I thought that was too late. Mike's not a hothead. He's not going to get teed up. He's not a yeller. But you have to sometimes let a referee know you're there. Kids respond to that. Uh, I think Billy Donovan was very similar to Coach White as a young coach but became sort of a master at letting officials know he was there and knowing when he needed to be vocal. I thought Coach White needed to be a better advocate for his players Saturday night, and I'm almost done. I thought Coach White needed to make sure Kayvon Allen, who had another brilliant half in the first half, kept getting the ball on a night when Noah Locke was not sharp, and people got excited about Locke making shots. He was 5 of 15 from downtown, 5 of 17 from the field. That's not good. Um and for Kayvon Allen to get zero shots in the final 19 minutes of the game, that's unacceptable. Now, the contrarian point, I guess, is a decent one, which is that historically Allen is a tentative player, and, and he he doesn't shoot even when he has the green light. But Coach White's coached him for four years. So you know that about the kid. And it's your job as the coach to run actions for him. You have to force him to be involved. It's not enough to just call a timeout and tell him to shoot. So, so where does that leave Florida? Um, Mike White's not on the hot seat. He shouldn't be on the hot seat. Uh, and I'm not going to get into those discussions. Uh, I think there's, there's obviously a top five recruiting class coming in. They've won NCAA tournament games in back-to-back years. They went to the Elite Eight uh, two years ago. And I think, and I think Eric from his riding at Gator Country probably agrees with at least this point that I'm making, uh, Florida's about to have the best roster it's had since he's been there, at least next season. Um, Second, I think Mike White's teams need to be more consistent. Um, Other than the Elite Eight year, well, no, that's not true. His first team was a really improved version of Donovan's last team, and I don't think we give him enough credit for his first season here at Florida. I thought his Elite Eight team, save the weird Vanderbilt games, was very consistent. But uh, a year and a half years, uh, or a year and a half past that Elite Eight, Florida's lost 13 games now to unranked teams. Um, in the last year and a half, they've lost seven of those at home, even accounting for one of those being to a team that made the Final Four, Loyola, Chicago. Florida's lost six home games to unranked teams. I think that's too many losses at home in one of college basketball's best environments. So um, that's something that Florida has to get better at. They have to be better at consistently showing up. And for all the praise I've given Coach White about how they preserve Florida's winning culture, I think that's an area defending the home floor that's suffered. And, and has to be fixed. Now, none of that means White should be on the hot seat. Um, none of that changes the in-game results. But as for the South Carolina loss, my opinion is uh, that loss is not okay, and that loss is squarely on Coach White. And I'll turn it over to Eric. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you about, uh, about a lot of the blame coming to, uh, coming to White on this one. And uh, it, there's something that I think as someone who's very into, you know, analytics as anyone who would listen to this podcast or reads my stuff knows. And um, something kind of analytically is just about like, it, you know, in a one possession game in basketball, 
um, a, a lot of it goes comes down to luck. You know, if, if someone takes a shot at the buzzer and it's sitting on the rim and might fall in or out, um, th- there's a lot of uh, luck essentially about uh, about whether that ball goes in and out and, and who the winning team is uh, and who the losing team is. The thing with Mike White is that there's just been so many of these one possession losses that have stacked up. And I think it's kind of beyond the point of being just bad luck and is starting to has started to be something that's uh, that you have to look at Mike White for. This is uh, something that his entire time through Florida is the Gators are just getting absolutely rinsed in one possession games. They're not coming on the right side of, of a lot of them. They're, they're losing a ton of them. And there was some kind of uh, some of the, some of the execution at the end of the game against South Carolina wasn't great. Um, Obviously with the, uh, the biggest thing of course, being the, uh, you know, being the stretch pass that South Carolina won on and, you know, do I think that Chris Silva pushed off? Absolutely. Do I think that? Um, uh, do I think that he hooked Dante Bassett and didn't get called a couple of possessions before for a big bucket? Um, you know, there there are some ref there there are some refing things that did not go in Florida's favor. Um, but on that last uh, that last possession, um, when they had to uh, stop uh, South Carolina from essentially doing exactly what they did and uh, catching and dunking a basketball in less than a second. Um, they weren't able to execute. And there was definitely some miscommunication with two players, um, especially Kayvon Allen, I think was probably the most um, confused running to the guy in the sideline. You could tell that Florida definitely thought that the pass was going to come on South Carolina's side of half where they could take a dribble or two and then put up a shot. Um, Florida was not ready for the pass over the top. Um, and it was evidenced by the fact that um, how they lined up, how they quickly rushed to defend South Carolina's side of half and not fall back. And the fact that there wasn't a free safety or something. So when the pass did get over the top of, of Hayes fingertips and it went to Silva, there wasn't someone behind there. Um, one, one thing too, even um, the, the fact that uh, uh, the fact that even Stokes was on the floor for that and uh, uh, on the hands team, <laughs> or whatever you want to call it, trying to keep that long ball from, uh, from getting through, um, I thought that was a little bit of a weird decision. I know the probably thought process was you have him out there for offensive rebounding. If, um, uh, if uh, Hayes were to have missed that, uh, that free throw, that key kind of second free throw to tie. But um, I think kind of statistically uh, and also just kind of by the eye test, I would have rather had Bassett out there. Who's also a little bit more fleet of foot that maybe would have been able to help break up a pass a little bit more. So um yeah, this one, um, you know what, I, I, it takes a whole lot for me to blame refs for, for an outcome of the game, and, and they definitely didn't do the Gators any favors. But um, I, I, do think that, um, I do think that Mike White takes a lot of blame. And uh, I'll throw a question back to you because there was a lot of discussion about this on Twitter, um, and that was uh, you know, on the broadcast. Um, actually, I guess you might have not seen this because you were at the game. Um, there was a time at the broadcast where um, in that final timeout that Mike White had that um, – the broadcast showed him and he was looking at a piece of paper. He had the coach's clipboard on his, um, on his lap. And then uh, he was looking at this piece of paper for the entire time out and then didn't, uh, didn't end up drawing anything up and then um, didn't ex- end up executing. I was going to ask you what, uh, what you thought was written on that paper, but I guess you were at the game and maybe didn't even see that part. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. And, and I, obviously I, I went on Twitter and, and kind of followed it after. Um, and all I'll say is this. There was, according to White, there was somebody was supposed to guard the inbound pass, um, which didn't happen. Uh, and every coach gets a, a Rick Patino, Christian Later, Leitner video tutorial of it at the at the NCAA tournament. Um, so, <laughs> yikes! Uh, so I think 
I think uh, I, that was obviously a mistake, and, and I don't know, you know, if Florida's players were – then that's not a very good video because the Gators had an entire timeout to get set up, and, and White, you know, it didn't look like he was doing anything. Yeah, I mean, uh, as someone who's uh, – I've got a little bit of a theory, and I know so, – so, so for people who might not have seen this, there's a whole lot of um, – kind of negative memes towards white where him looking at this piece of paper during the final timeout and, and not drawing something up. Um, I mean, my theory with that, it would have to be something kind of analytics based that he was kind of looking at a matchup or something that, um, that he might like. Um, my other counter will be that um, uh, it would be nice if one of your assistant coaches maybe would, uh, would have that in mind. Um, but um, I know from a conversation, a couple of conversations I had a, with Darius Nichols that he is not into analytics at all. I don't actually know about uh, Mincy, but I think he's the same way from talking to him. And um, I haven't had the chance to speak to Pinkins, but um, being a little more of an old school guy, I'm curious what his thought is. Um, Florida does have a guy who's, um, uh, who's kind of their, their analytics guy. I forget his, um, I forget what his actual title is, but um, I'm pretty sure it'd be something like my dream job would be what he, he does. Um, that I would have, <laughs> but um, I think that it's something that, um, uh, I just wish that if there was something that he needed to know, I, I especially analytically, because I know that Mike White is really into, into analytics. Um, I, I wish that someone was able to tell him a little bit quicker so he could maybe use his time in the timeout a little bit more. But um, of course, that is a little bit of speculation based on the fact that um, we're not in the huddle. Yeah. And I mean, if it, if it was something analytic that, that White, who does like analytics, wanted to know ahead of overtime, then ask for it when you're getting ready to play overtime. Right. And, and there's even something like, um, like I was pretty big on, um, uh, on the fact that um, uh, when, you know, when Florida lost one possession game, because they put the ball in the hands of, of Kayvon Allen to go anywhere. He had to take it to the rim for a quick two and he, he missed the layup. And I, and I was quite, I wrote about it. I think I might've talked about it on this podcast about the fact that Kayvon Allen is one of the worst finishers at the rim in the, honestly, in the country at the time. And, um, and on the team, he's one of the worst. So I, so I was thinking, you know, that it was my thought that analytically speaking, he's not the guy you wanted in that particular situation. So there's part of me that was thinking like, Oh, maybe white is looking at something like that, where if he's like, Oh, I want someone taking this shot in this way or from this area. Um, let's look at my splits and find out who the best guy is for something like that. that that's kind of my dream. That's what I was hoping was happening, but, <laughs> that's probably a little uh that's probably not the case yeah and and a couple more numbers that uh come from our our friend jason kessler um i mean they're 16 and 16 versus the power six since the beginning of last season um oddly florida has a winning record against ranked teams in that stretch and a losing record against unranked teams so florida plays to the level of its opponents very much and, and that's something that, that really they have to fix culturally. Um, and I don't know if the answer is necessarily do it with a more veteran team because I don't think you could ask for a better senior leader than Chris Chioza. And it was a problem last year with Chris Chioza. Right. And I, I honestly think it's um, – you could – I know a lot of people like to look at the um, – kind of look at the uh, the intangibles a little bit of, of things like leadership or or a vet, uh, people looking at like oh who's the leaders on this team for this season and there's you definitely can't disregard that but um it's kind of just comes down as well to just the um uh the things that are a little more uh, accountable for uh, 
um, in the game of basketball. And that's like, well, Florida doesn't have guys who can create great off the dribble or, or um, get their shot whenever they want it, especially now that Jalen Hudson is really cold. So when it comes to these tight games, there's not a guy who can really take the game over. Um, there's like, I kind of said about Kayvon Allen before Kayvon Allen doesn't finish at the rim. Well, so um, he's, he's a great at, you know, pulling up for three and, and sometimes you need that, but um, in, in the clutch, you'd like to see someone being able to get into the paint and, and finish strong and, and Florida doesn't have those kind of guys. So I think that that kind of plays big into these, into these tight games. So um, there's definitely part of it that I look at the intangibles of, of leadership and, and things like that. Um, but then you also look at um, uh, against when Florida couldn't get buckets against South Carolina in the clutch. And it was because they just didn't have enough guys that could make moves off the dribble. Yeah, no, and, and I thought, like I, like I mentioned, I thought some of that also had to do with, with not adjusting to, to that trap because even, you know, I think they only got one turnover out of it, uh, but it did lead to a dunk. Um, but but even when they, they weren't turning Florida over, I mean, Florida was starting possessions with 19 seconds to go in the shot clock. And that this this team offensively is just not equipped to have late possession, you know, to initiate offense late in possessions. They're just not. No, they really aren't. And that just kind of goes back to yeah, not having a lot of kind of creators that can uh, get their own shot. This is kind of like even last year where Chris Chioza, um, great passer, great leader. Um, but not a guy who can um, could really kind of create his own shot down in the shot clock. And um, Andrew Nemhart, same thing. Awesome passer. I think he's a good leader, but not a guy that if there's five seconds on the clock and you need to, and he, or he needs to go one-on-one and make something happen. That's um, that's just not in his DNA. So we have, we have some, you know, we had a host of Jason Franzen um, at average Gator guy, uh, guy, controversy, Ecclesia, a bunch of people hitting us up on Twitter asking about offense. And um, one of the tweets was, White said somewhere he doesn't like to call too many plays in the half court because it stifles creativity. And we were just talking about how they don't have a lot of guys who are creative. So maybe it's time to talk about dribble drive offense. And and I, this was Eric's idea, and I think it's, it's a really good one. But I think um, – because there's a lot of terms and stuff that gets thrown around when people are talking about what Florida's doing offensively or not doing. And, you know, we get all these questions, well, why don't they set more screens? And that's not really what their offense is. Um, so Florida doesn't run a really ball screen reliant offense. You know, and I think it's easy to be, I don't want to say confused. Florida fans are looking at something different than they looked at for two decades, right? Because Donovan's offense, Motion offense, high ball screen you to death. I mean, pretty much. Um, and and that's Bruce Pearl used to just be like, I don't think anyone runs more high ball screens than Billy Donovan. And even the Thunder, like high ball screen quite a bit in the NBA. Uh, so Florida does does a dribble drive. So we're gonna kind of go into what what that means. And I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it over to Eric to just kind of talk about how it gets set up. Um, I'll tell you that a high school coach invented it. Um, if you Google dribble drive motion offense, uh, <laughs> it was invented by a high school coach in California who had uh, a lot like my team, four guards and, and one big who wasn't very good at offense. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so if that sounds like Florida, you know, from a bird's eye view, then okay. But, but there's a lot more to it than that. And I think, 
what was scary to me was the more I analyzed and kind of prepared for this show, the more I kind of saw reasons that Florida struggles offensively might have to do with the system that they're using. Definitely. Um, yeah, well, let's uh... – Let's talk a little bit about the offense, about what the dribble drive is, and then um, then we'll yeah. talk about whether uh, what we think the uh, relative to Florida fits a good fit. But um, yeah, this is something that um, yeah might be easier with uh, with the coach's clipboard in front. But uh, we'll do it the best we can just talking. But um, the first thing I think you just need to uh, just to kind of visualize it is something that um, the way Florida does it, you can do it different ways. But let's say it's four out and one in. So let's say there's there's a guard in each guard spot. Um, we'll say so two guards. We'll say that they're like kind of at the 45, probably a little closer to the center of the court from there. And then, and then you got your two wings that are a little more towards the sideline. So let's say the guard has the ball. Um, the guard is probably the first thing walks the ball up the court. Um, let's say he makes a pass to the other guard spot. Um, so after this guard, the first guard makes the pass. Um, this is where kind of, uh, this is where uh, you can kind of do different things. And this is where you kind of make a read. Uh, the most common thing is you cut through. And if you were listening to the broadcast about Mike White, um, I think that's what he want guys to do is pass and cut um, pretty basic uh, things. You can pass and screen away. Um, Florida doesn't do a lot of that. Um, you can pass and then go screen for the guy you pass the ball to. Florida doesn't do that a lot. So um, for Florida, it's a lot of pass and then, uh, and then you cut through. Um, so when you are cutting through um, the other two guys that aren't on the ball, they are shifting into the, uh, the spots that you just kind of, the one spot you made available and then, um, the other guy shifting as well. And then after you've cut through, if you don't get the ball, you fill the other spot that has been unoccupied. So it's kind of like, as if there's four spots on the floor, you pass, you cut through two guys move, and then you fill the spot that, um, um, that has now been occupied. And, uh, I might've lost some people there. Um, some people are probably with it, but, um, and then, so say you're not, you're the guard that didn't start with the ball and you got the ball passed to you. Um, that's the time you have to look to attack. That's the time that, um, you know, if a guy, if your man is kind of closing out to you, that's how you've got to kind of uh, attack that closeout and get to the hoop. Um, if in those, uh, that first second or two, you get the ball, you realize that there's no, uh, there's nothing you can do. You can't drive. You get closed out well on. Um, that's where you've got to move the ball again. And after you move the ball, you cut through. Um, and there's this, it's, so that's something, um, the dribble drive is kind of like a continuity offense. Um, because yeah, there's not like a clear spot where it's like, oh, this guy shoots here, or this this is where you pass it to a guy for a layup. It's um, you pass the ball and you cut through and you fill spaces, and it's kind of a, a very like flowy offense where there's not a very clear endpoint, uh, as if it were a, um, a a pick and roll where you try to hit the roll man, or a play where you pin down for a shooter and the endpoint is the shot going up. Um, the dribble drive is um, uh, kind of simple in. Um, in just kind of in the way that there's uh, it is just kind of a bunch of rules that you follow and you pass and you cut through and you fill a spot. That's kind of the easiest way to put it. Um, but uh, it's also um, the way, because it's so open-ended and like, you know, Mike White said um, it's, it's all about kind of creativity. Um, the fact that there's not kind of a clear goal, like a clear shot you're looking for a clear layup you're looking for um, it can, it can kind of struggle. And um, it, it also, um, uh, it also, yeah, the, it also requires guys that can drive. So um, what would you like to add to that, Neil? Well, just that what, what he's explained kind of how it would flow or look on a, on a chalkboard. And I'm trying to think of a broad way to – I think the idea is to maximize spacing, right? You want to maximize spacing and, and prevent the convergence of players on the court as much as possible. Yes. So, so you talk about, you know, the kind of 
the more gaps you create, I guess, in spacing then. Um, and then when I say gap, I mean the space between the guy who has the ball, the ball handler, and whoever their closest teammate is. So the more space that you have, the better chance that two things happen. One, uh, either the ball handler can get past their defender because naturally if there's more space to operate, they have more space to get by their guy. Or two, they command help, which then opens um, the passing lanes for shooters who are usually outside and ready to receive the ball. Now, um, those receiver, those receivers, say receivers, the shooters need to be ready to receive the ball. My mind got ahead of, of what I was trying to say there, uh, or words. Um, and so Florida, actually Saturday night, I thought Florida would run, even with Florida, when it was good, like when they could get space and get by defender and command help, I thought Florida also had guys receive the ball kind of flat-footed and not really ready to shoot. And one of Keith Stone's jump shots was just abysmally not close, and it came off a wonderful action uh, where Andrew Nimhard was able to command a bunch of help and fire back out to Stone with about eight on the shot clock. And Kavarius, not Kavarius, his Dante Bassett in good position to rebound. And, like, people receive the ball not ready to shoot. But that's that's neither here nor there. So I think that, the, the, that that's kind of the overarching goal is to maximize spacing and and uh, create high-percentage shots. Yeah, and I think the, the one thing you said is uh, just in passing there is um, I, I think kind of the big thing about playing dribble drive is you need to be able to command help. You need to be, you need the, you need someone on the, the opposing team that's sitting in help side to have to step up and try to stop you. Um, right. Because, yeah, if you don't um, – and that's where a lot of, you know, a lot of people that say like, oh, Florida just plays one-on-one basketball um, – that's kind of true in a, in a way because um, the offense relies on someone getting by their man and um, establish, you know, making someone have to help. And that's how you get open shooters or um, you kick out to the, you kick out to the guy who's an open shooter. And if he gets closed out on, he makes the extra pass or he attacks uh, a closeout. And um, I think that's, um, I, I think that kind of transitions well into uh, just something we are going to talk to about um uh, why does uh, why does Florida kind of struggle with this at times? And I, I think it's because for the dribble drive offense, you need guys that can beat their man off the dribble. And you mentioned something about the starting lineup before, um, and how you'd like to see it changed. And the fact of the matter is, in this def- or sorry, in this offensive system that requires um, multiple bodies to be able to uh, attack their man off the dribble, um, you've got Andrew Nemhart, who I don't think is elite at beating his man off the dribble. You've got Kayvon Allen, who's probably better than Nemhart, but I would say not an elite uh, at getting guy beating his man off the dribble. Um, you've got Noah Locke, not good at beating his man off the dribble yet. Uh, you've got Keith Stone, not good at beating his man off the dribble. And um, Kavarius Hayes, who uh, doesn't have to play in the perimeter in this, but um, obviously if he gets um, into some rotation like that, can't beat his man off the dribble. Um, so I would say it's in an, you know, not even in an ideal setting, I mean, you know, in an ideal setting, you'd have five guys that could beat their man off the dribble. Um, but I would say even in a semi-ideal setting, you'd have, you know, at least one really elite guy beating his man and maybe two others that are really good. And instead, Florida has, you know, maybe Andrew Nemhart and Kayvon Allen who are okay. Uh, and, and Kentucky runs this offense for anyone listening. So, so 
John Calipari runs dribble drive offense, and his lone national championship team had three players that could consistently beat their guy off the dribble. I mean, consistently, like almost, you know, one out of two possessions. So they they scored at an incredibly efficient level. And every oh well, they had Anthony Davis. Well, yeah, you know, and and the post guy is important in the dribble drive offense too for for reasons that. Are a little bit different. Usually, he's on the uh, what the help side, right, Eric? Yeah, on the weak side. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but but uh, but you had Michael Kidd Gilchrist who could do it collegially, and uh, you know any of name your guard, <laughs> right? Well, and, and again, it's it's just something that um, yeah, you need to be able to have one guy gain a little bit of an advantage as he drives into the lane, force help, kick it to another guy who attacks a closeout, um, gets an advantage on his man. And then, you know, if you get two, two kind of movements like that in, a, in an offensive possession where you force two really big-time kind of help situations for your opponent, you're probably going to get a layup or an open three. Um, so for Florida, um, they just haven't been able to string that together where it's one guy gets into the paint, help comes, he dishes it out. That guy attacks the closeout, gets into the paint, help comes, and then that next pass comes and it's either an open three or, or a layup. We just haven't really seen that. So, and, and, he, and yeah, and I'm, Eric's right. And I think, um, look, Florida has the kind of quick footed post you want to, uh, to, to run this offense, which is what's so weird about Tavarius Hayes is like, at least in that regard, um, he kind of makes sense. But you'd love for his hands to be better, which, you know, we all saw Saturday night in his limited first half time and his two touches were turnovers. Um, but, but getting back to, to what happens is this, this, this offense starts with the ability to break down defenders off the bounce. And Florida doesn't have enough guys to do that. We saw Jalen Hudson trying to do that Saturday night. I thought kind of effectively actually. Um, so that's good. But, but so I had my head coach that I work with write down the weaknesses of the dribble drive. And, I thought when he when he gave me the list, it was eye opening, and I, I imagine our listeners and Eric may feel it's eye opening too. And Eric's going to know what a lot of these are because because of his coaching background. <laughs> but uh, it's almost like a list of Florida things. <laughs> <laughs> so one, and and if you feel like you're on Twitter, when they're not playing well uh, right now, then this is why. So one weakness one that he wrote was not enough screening what people perceive as a stagnant offense uh number two it's just guys dribbling (laughs) number three on ball and high ball screens not used much and then he put in parentheses staple of donovan offense so that's what i mean about people's eyes got used to one thing now they're watching something entirely different number four settling for three pointers now okay this offense is designed to create high percentage three point jump shots, but people are always less happy about a lot of them when they're not going in, which when you shoot 29% against South Carolina, who's given up 39, that's, that's, one, that's one example. Uh, five passing and standing. Um, Florida doesn't, Mike White wants them to cut through like Eric was talking about. That doesn't always happen with Florida. Uh, at least this season. I don't know if that's a maturity thing or, or what it is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, hard cuts are kind of required in this offense to create the space. 
And then number six, uh, and he put big stars around this one, which I guess means most important. I didn't ask. Not good enough drivers. <laughs> and what's that mean? It means that that even if you command help, sometimes your guy doesn't get deep enough into the lane. So you get kind of stuck in this secondary area between the elbow and the – or you get stuck in the lane between the secondary area and the elbow, right, which is that area just in front of the free throw line but before – the secondary area where you can't help. And, and that's the worst place to pass from. I think, I don't know if Eric disagrees, but it's kind of like, it's difficult to pass in there because your angles are the farthest, which means you have to make the longest pass. And obviously that means defenses can help on that pass a little easier. And I really feel like when Andrew Nimhart struggles, it's because he gets there and that's where he's passing from. Right. Yeah. It's not a great place to pass from. And um, I'm going to add in just maybe one or two of my, my cons to the dribble drive. Um, My first one will be that it's very taxing physically. And I know that's something that um, uh, people might kind of like roll their eyes at and just like, Hey, these are high major athletes, but um, kind of talking, it it kind of goes into the, the idea of like that you have to cut, you have to cut after you pass and you can't stand around or the offense dies, but that doesn't always happen. And not only do you have to cut, but I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to make the offense really be effective, you need to cut really hard. You need to sprint because you need, you need, you know, you need your man to have to guard you, but then also ideally the person in help side has to kind of see that you're a threat and has to go tag you. So you have to, um, you have to cut really hard. And if, um, if every kind of motion to the offense is pass and then cut and every single time a player is cutting really hard, um, that's a pretty uh, taxing way to play offense but the only way for this offense to really be successful is if guys cut really hard. So if Florida were to suddenly be the best dribble drive offense team in the nation, you would be seeing guys sprinting on offense all over the floor. And that would be really cool to see, but um, it's probably just, um, it's probably just not a way to play basketball for 40 minutes when this team is also working really, really hard defensively. And I think there's, you know, that's why at the, at the kind of mid major ranks um, goal at Savannah state, if you ever heard about them, um, that's the way they kind of get a bunch of three point shots up is they, they play this dribble drive offense, um, and, and get a lot of threes up, but it's because they, they put out all their kind of, uh, effort on offense and they cut really hard. And when, when guys have to adjust and they get a, a glimmer of open space, they, they shoot a jump shot. So that's kind of my one, uh, I guess there's a couple of cons kind of built into that con. Um, and then my one <laughs> other, um, my one other con, um, I'm not sure how to phrase this the best way, but, um, the dribble drive doesn't maximize your best player, if that makes sense in the way that it's not, um, if you want, if you have a particular player that you want the ball in their hands to initiate offense, um, that's not really the way this offense works because it, it's not really a true, Hey, here's your point guard or here's your primary ball handler because it's, there's kind of four perimeter spaces and you pass and you cut through and you do that until a shot presents itself. So, um, you know, you see the way that, um, you know, this is maybe a bad example just because Florida beat them really badly, but a player that, um, has been really effective in throughout his career is Kamar Baldwin at Butler. Um, they get a lot of three point shots up, but they're not playing dribble drive where they, um, you know, share the ball and everyone is a threat. Um, they run their offense around the ball being in Kamar Baldwin's hands. And you just can't do that in a dribble drive offense. And uh, kind of uh, point B to that is that if you're playing dribble drive, you're almost only as strong as your weakest link, because if you don't have four guys on the perimeter that can attack, um, the defense doesn't have to adjust to everyone. 
And um, that that's kind of the other, uh, that's the other problem with the dribble drive is unless you can really put out a lineup where everyone can attack. Um, yeah. I just don't think it's as effective. Yeah. And I, I'm going to actually pretty much agree, agree with that. Here's the caveat. I'll ask. Uh, well, two, one is, is Kentucky when, when Kentucky won the national title with the system, uh, Anthony Davis's offensive rebound percentage was the highest in NCAA history. So, um, I don't know if they were utilizing necessarily their best player in that offense the best way possible, but because he was just so good, it didn't really matter. Uh, and Florida doesn't obviously have anyone in that ballpark. Uh, and, and then the other examples I'd use would be like the Lob City Clippers, maybe with Chris Paul. Um, like maybe that was the best offense for them, but that's Chris Paul. And then Memphis with Derrick Rose uh, is probably the only other really great example, if anybody remembers that team. And then that team, Derrick Rose, I, I looked this up, finished with a uh, 31% assist percentage. What's an assist percentage is the number of baskets that teammates make that have an assist um, when he's on the floor. So that's ridiculous. <laughs> and and I think the whole point of, of that offense was to make sure that Derrick Rose had the ball in his hands so he could facilitate. But think about the types of players I'm naming here. Um, so you kind of need this elite electric player. And as good as Andrew Nimhart is, it's just not really where Florida is. So leads us to the, the question of, you know, we've talked a lot about how Florida maybe doesn't want to reinvent the wheel offensively. and um, You know, I think that's true. But it seems like, to me, this is an offense that's got to incorporate more screening action and and do something at least a little bit different occasionally uh, to stop these periods of, of offense where they can't put the ball in the basket. Yeah, and uh, one thing I thought was kind of nice uh, was I think we saw a new set against South Carolina that they ran a few times that I, I don't remember seeing before. Um, they used it to get Noah Locke open for those kind of corner threes where they would kind of uh, flatten out four guys. Um, Namahart had the ball at the top, and then um, Locke would run the baseline through screens, and then if that pass wasn't there for the open three, well, which it was a couple times, um, yeah. then the first screener, who was usually Stokes, would then go set a screen on the ball. And I thought it was a nice, simple, kind of good offensive set. So I think we – and I don't remember seeing it before. So I think we are seeing a few more of those uh, uh, those things from Florida. But um, I, I think it kind of goes down once again to, um, like, how are you kind of best utilizing your players? And I think you look at Noah Locke, and it's is he the best dribble drive player? Uh, not right now because he doesn't score in the paint whatsoever. He's doing really poorly from two-point range and um, isn't great at breaking his man down. I think he'll get to that point. I really like him. But obviously, he can shoot the ball really well, especially off screens. So um, you probably want to use him off screens. And Andrew Nemhart is excellent using ball screens. So I think he'd like to use that a little bit more. Um, Keith Stone is a, kind of a guy that his best offense has been as just as a spot-up shooter, not as a guy who makes plays with the ball in his hands. So um, I think you probably just want him as a spacer and not someone who has to be a, a guy who – um, is in drive situations and uh, you just kind of keep looking up and down the lineup like that. Isaiah Stokes is either a post-up guy or a, a screen and roll or a pick and pop guy. Um, not a guy you just want sitting on the weak side as your five man in the dribble drive. And, and you just look at the strengths of these players. And I just, 
don't, I, I just think it's, I don't think the dribble drive is best. And I think um, running a few more set set kind of actions with um, screens off the ball for our shooters and screens on the ball for for Nemhart with bigs driving towards the hoop. I, I do think that'll be a little bit better, um, but I will say, and, and I'm not, um, it's probably a little bit overused to just keep um, to keep looking towards next season. Um, but you know, Scotty Lewis and Trey Mann, those are two guys that um, uh, that could really play within the dribble drive. Um, Trey Mann, a guy who can either hit shots or break his man off the dribble. Uh, perfect. Um, Scotty Lewis, an incredible athlete. Um, he's going to be able to beat guys off the dribble. So um, next year, will this offense work a little bit better? Um, I think it will. Just obviously, those are two elite players you're adding, but also skill sets that work towards the dribble drive. Yeah, and I mean, I think wing penetration is kind of the the modified way that the dribble drive has stayed relevant, right? Like all offenses evolve, and so sometimes if a if a guy can't beat someone off the bounce, um, then your players will cut to the corners or or a- other areas on the perimeter, and um, you can get you can get the ball handler to kind of get the ball to one of the corners and, and the wing can and then attack, whether it's the middle of the key or, or down the baseline. And, and I think like Devin Robinson was really good at that. And Florida hasn't really replaced Devin Robinson, right? Yeah. Tough one to replace. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Chase Johnson, it sure would be nice if Chase Johnson was on the floor to, to kind of slide in that space in the wing and on the, on the strong side and, and get the ball and, and look to score or, or pass to the to the open five man, right? But none of that stuff. It's hard to explain that without a chalkboard. But <laughs> right, <laughs> you did a pretty a good job. Of, yeah, there's a lot of things you can do with with wings who can attack the basket, which is another reason I think Keontae Johnson needs to start because another thing dribble drive is supposed to do is get you to the free throw line. And like, while Florida has gotten to the free throw line some this season, I didn't actually look at these metrics before we started to record, but I feel like, you know, there, there are times when Florida does not get to the free throw line enough. No, definitely not. And um, I, I think that probably, I, I think that that's kind of just another, um, you, you need to get in the paint to get fouled. Um, yeah. You know, it's pretty rare to give, there's not a lot of fouls on jump shooters in, in basketball. It's um, so for Florida to not have um, guys that can kind of cut into the paint and, um, attack and, and force a help side to come a little bit late and, and bump them. Um, yeah, that's why they just haven't really gotten to the line. Um, and yeah, I, I forgot I was going to circle back. We were talking about dribble drive to say, um, yeah, that, I do think that's also why, uh, why I think Keontae Johnson should, uh, um, should maybe get a look in the starting lineup. Um, he's been rebounding awesome too. And I think he actually passes the ball really well. He's had some really nice assists. Um, he's obviously not a primary kind of ball handler out there or whatever, but um, he is a guy who I think um, the ball moves and he kind of recognizes when to attack and when he needs the ball to move. And I think that, um, I think that he would just be kind of like, um, this might be underselling what I, but, but like kind of just the glue guy out there. Cause right now the kind of glue guy would be Keith Stone who um, uh, is, you know, not, uh, not one of the main cogs offensively, but isn't just um, the, the kind of dump off guy like Kavarius Hayes. And I think that, um, I, I think that that could be a, a really good spot for Keontae Johnson. And um, it'd be interesting to maybe see uh, Keith Stone get uh, some more um, interesting matchups kind of off the bench against some other team's second units. And um, yeah, I, that's, um, that's one kind of change I'd like to see. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, you know, and I think, I think you could get Keith going. Like you just, you just identified another reason that I hadn't thought of that, that it's a good idea. Maybe, maybe Stone 
would be better in that role? Just coming out on, on second units and, and working on somebody's seventh man, right? So uh, any of those things are good. It's another argument for DeAndre Ballard, really, who I think for all the for all the how he's come down to earth a little bit, you know, as a scorer from what he was at the beginning of this season. But one thing I love about Ballard this year is how he's he's gone from kind of a ball hawk who takes bad shots. Uh, and if, you know, I'm not trying to hate on the kid. I, I, his attitude is so good, though, and and that's that's how it was. It was to be complimentary. Is that he's he's gone from from that kind of oh no, why did he take that shot player to a glue guy who makes just an insane offensive rebound to keep a possession going out of sheer effort, you know, and that kind of stuff. Florida's going to win with effort and defense, so why not start the guys that are going to bring that and, and play them first? Oh yeah. Um, even the way that, um, the way that Noah Locke has been just like instant offense, especially in the first halves. Um, uh, it makes me wonder if you maybe want to get shifted back to the bench, not because it's uh, not as some demotion because obviously he's been putting up points. Um, but just because, uh, I think that they could use, um, they could use his offense off the bench when, because that's, that's kind of been the times they've gone cold, um, especially in second halves. Um, but also in first halves as well, where they, you know, have a, a decent start, but then they get to their bench unit and it's um, uh, guys without as much kind of scoring punch and then things kind of go cold. So I, I would wonder if you took Noah Locke back to the bench and then started Ballard. Um, with Ballard, you do have a guy who can break his man off the dribble a little bit more in attack. Um, I mean, and if you had, it's it's not a lineup I think we've really seen, but if you did have, um, you know, Andrew Nemhard, Kayvon Allen, DeAndre Ballard, and, and Deontay Johnson out there as your starting unit, that's that would be your best dribble drive unit it, uh, in it terms really of just it re- yeah it totally would so i i think that'd be really interesting and then you'd get to see um then as soon as noah Locke comes in off the bench i would run those sets to get him uh to get him screens to get him uh to get some shots up because yeah that's where he's been really good and the other thing too and um uh, i think i might have an article about up about this um it, it might just be uh, it might just be a series of tweets it might not be enough for uh for an article <laughs> but um uh yeah noah Locke has been quite quite lights out in the first half of games this season and has been a lot worse in the second half of games. And my working theory um, is just honestly the fact that you, you see the way he shoots the ball. He really, really elevates. He gets to the top of a, of a big leap and, and releases that way. And it's a gorgeous jump shot. Um, but I just wonder with the minutes he's playing currently, if that, if, if it's just been a fatigue thing and that's why he hasn't been able to shoot the ball as well in second halves. Cause he doesn't have one of those. He doesn't have one of those kind of easy strokes where uh, he just has a little bit of a jump shot and um, the ball just kind of uh, zips off his hand. You know, he, he jumps high on his release. He gets up there, he gets his elbow up and it's a beautiful jump shot. Don't get me wrong. I never advocate he changes that. I mean, he's been shooting it really well, but um, we just kept seeing and we saw it against South Carolina. He was super hot in the, in the first and then had a whole lot of really good looks in the second that didn't fall. And um, uh, I wonder if it's a little bit of a fatigue thing and makes me wonder if maybe they should just cut his minutes a little bit. Um, and obviously like this is a, he's a freshman. I mean, a lot, that's a lot of freshmen um, uh, kind of do struggle with their conditioning a little bit. And the other thing too, is Noah Locke gets after it defensively. He fights hard through screens. He chases his man when he cuts, he plays awesome defense. So um, maybe, uh, so I could see him kind of using some of his energy there. So, um, but yeah, that's, um, that's why uh, I'd like to see maybe a little bit of a starting lineup change. Yeah. And I mean, it could be Jalen Hudson for Ballard, honestly. Like if you're starting Keontae Johnson, uh, I think if you start Hudson again, it needs to be Keontae starting though. Cause I think you have to acknowledge that you're dropping off a little defensively. If you start Jalen, 
But I've kind of liked the way that Jalen Hudson in the last three basketball games has attacked the basket, gotten fouled, and gotten to the free throw line. I wish you were better than a 60% free throw shooter. Um, <laughs> you know? But uh, but I like I, – I honestly do think he's close to, to kind of turning the corner. Um, and, you know, obviously – I think his minutes in the last game at least reflected that, is that he played a lot more important minutes, quote-unquote important minutes, uh, just kind of minutes that I perceive to be like vital moments in the game where Jalen Hudson was on the floor. Yeah, the, tr- the trust is definitely coming back with him, and I do like to see that he's, um, he's looking to more to get to the paint than he is for um, uh, to just look for his jump shot like he did last season because, well, his jump shots were <laughs> falling at a really high rate. Um, but I just think the next layer for him needs to be just a little bit more recognition of when to pass the basketball. He's, yep. uh, it's great to see that he's being able to get in the paint. And um, I mean, if he shot the ball as well as he did last year um, with the way he was able to get into the paint a little bit more this season, I mean, that would be the step that, you know, takes him to, um, you know, all SEC caliber. Um, obviously he hasn't been able to shoot the ball like he has last year. Um, but uh, to see him drive the ball is better, but um, there's just some times where I think he needs to recognize um when the help's there and when he has a little just drop off pass for, to the big man for a dunk or um, to recognize, um, uh, to recognize the, the, when the guy helps over, there's probably going to be an open shooter. And um, yeah, if he can kind of just recognize those little things, um, I think he'll be, uh, he'll be back in good shape. So let's, let's spend the last few minutes of the show on Arkansas. Um, yeah. I, I tweeted out, I kind of regret it now tweeting out that it's a must win. <laughs> like I hate that phrase. Uh, boy, it's your the game though. Yeah, well, it's I I know I I'm kind of uh, guilty of that too because I mean like you know Florida could win, or sorry Florida could lose against um you know they could lose against Arkansas and you know if they somehow you know beat Tennessee twice then it doesn't matter that you lost it to South Carolina and Arkansas to an extent. So uh, yeah, it maybe gets thrown around um a little bit too much with must must win, but I definitely, I mean, I see where you're coming from because if Florida loses and then has to go play Tennessee and something you've tweeted about and we've talked about is um, this isn't even really the technically difficult portion of the schedule for Florida. So they just, you know, just losing games here quickly. Um, yeah. I just, uh, it, it really could be devastating. So though I, you know, maybe must win isn't totally correct. I don't know if it's too far off. Yeah, so yeah, and then Arkansas comes off a uh, two-point win over Texas A&M, um, in their in their opener in College Station, and what uh, we had Jalen Harris, fifteen points, leading scorer. So uh, a couple, of, everybody knows Daniel Gafford, but but Jalen Harris is a pretty excellent player in his own right. Yeah, he's been really good, and so that's probably something I didn't expect. Um, and then, you know, I talked on the last podcast about Isaiah Joe, who's been super, super good for them. And it's actually funny. I, I was kind of thinking about um, the starting lineup changes um, kind of in a vacuum a little bit, not even thinking about our, uh, about their next opponent. Um, but against Arkansas, you know, Isaiah Joe's a pretty big two-guard. Um, you know, he's 6'5 and, and pretty, pretty electric. So um, maybe having a little bit of uh, – uh, of some bigger defenders out there on the wing might be pretty good because uh, yeah he's been awesome and and even Mason Jones too he's he's been shooting the ball kind of well enough around um, uh, around Daniel Gafford as well um, so so yeah I could see how um, I could see how this team could be a little bit um, there could be some matchup issues for Florida and um, 
but it, it probably starts I, at least I think with the Daniel Gafford matchup. Mike White is two and zero in Fayetteville as a head coach, but of course, Florida and Arkansas finally got Coach White uh, at the SEC tournament last year. Yes, and that was uh, probably one that almost. Uh, if Florida could get even got that win, it would even be like potentially a seed line or something. So I think that that loss was actually um kind of sucked. Um, cause yeah, <laughs> I, I was just thinking, you know, Florida was just kind of on the cusp. Or I think if they won the Arkansas game and like maybe won more, they would have been kind of comfortably a five. So um, yeah, that one was too bad. Yeah, I mean they end up uh, losing and and getting shipped to play a road game in the second round, basically. So um, anyway, familiar, teams are familiar with one another. Uh, Arkansas, not quite as efficient as we're used to from Mike Anderson teams offensively. Um, 68th nationally right now. Uh, I'm not really sure what that is so much as uh, maybe their guard play is just not quite where it has been the last couple of years. Uh, we're getting about the same Arkansas defensively. At least it looks like uh, from, from an efficiency standpoint, they are turning people over a little more. Yeah, it seems to be uh, it seems to be the way you've got to do it um, is kind of with their lineup and they can be really aggressive because they've got Daniel Gafford behind them. Um, that's something that I've kind of noticed uh, watching them play. Just the fact that, um, yeah, just the fact that you can be pretty aggressive when um, when you've got an, an elite shot blocker like that. Just kind of in the same way that Florida, I think, can be a little bit more aggressive because they have uh, Kavarius Hayes behind them. So uh, obviously, Florida has been taking care of the ball kind of really well this season. Um, they took care of the ball really well last season too, and. Um, I, I maybe uh, I'm not. It, it had Florida not had trouble with um, with kind of the traps and stuff of uh, of South Carolina, I'd probably be a little bit more confident. Not that I think that Arkansas is going to trap necessarily, but um, uh, yeah, the way that they uh, uh, the way that they're looking to uh, to force turnovers, um, uh, it could give you uh, it, it could give the or it could kind of give them a couple points off the board if they could get some uh, some layups off seals. So Eric and I will. Uh... We'll try to circle back before the uh, big game against Tennessee Saturday, but obviously um, a lot, a lot of discuss, lot to discuss about South Carolina. Thanks. Thanks everybody for listening to this uh, edition of the Florida Basketball Hour. Um, we certainly appreciate all the listener questions, and hopefully uh, we'll have better news for you before Florida's matchup with uh, top five Tennessee back in the O-Dome Saturday. Um, please make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at Florida BB Hour or uh, subscribe and rate our podcast on Apple, uh, Spotify, Google, any of the various platforms. Thanks. Take care.